It's episode 49 of Stick to Hockey Live. There I am, Jason Martinez. Hello. And Anthony DeMarco coming to us from some French street in Montreal. You sent me your address for something I have to send you. I was like, oofa, I can't even pronounce that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even hard for someone who grew up in Montreal to sometimes pronounce these names. But uh, it's not like Schuyler Street or Scott Avenue. It's like yeah. Rue des Gérardzi. So, I mean... Oof. Yeah, yeah with, an ex, with an with an in there, so even it even kind of fucks me up sometimes. But I don't uh, know what you just said. Uh, exactly. I told you I told you the story about the the train ticket machine in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm such an idiot. I was like the ultimate tourist when we were up there in 2010 for the conference final. <laughs> but I love <laughs> I love the city. It's a great city. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, especially if you want to come down here just for like a, a night out with the boys or something. It's yeah. about as good as you can get. That's for sure. So can you house me and my boy, my my son, Evan, for uh, the Canadian Grand Prix? It's right off the right outside the city, right? And that little island thing. It's uh, it's on Parc Jean Drapeau, which mm-hmm. is like it's like basically right beside. Uh, I live about 45 minutes outside of down downtown. Mm-hmm. So like. Yeah, you could stay out here, but a lot of people like to be right in the right in the action downtown. Yeah, but if you don't mind that race, though, that's a lot of narrow. Oh, 100%. 100%. But you're right in the action. Like one of the main streets here is called Crescent, and mm-hmm. they always just close Crescent Street just for like a complete gong show downtown. But so it's just Montreal in the summer is a fun time. It's you got you even have heavy Montreal. You, you have Il Sonic, which is like an electronic event. You have Oceaga. No, it's a great place to be in the summer and F one as well. I've had many fun nights with F one. Yeah, they're back. They were back last year, and I may have to do that. Me and Evan may have to road trip up there and check that out. It's not not even a bad drive, especially that time of year. It's beautiful. Um, there's a ton to talk about today, and you know the team has wrapped up that four game homestand with a record of one, two, and one. Um, the one win was the one over Edmonton, which was a spectacular one. All four games are one goal games. They lose the first one against the Isles 2-1. They win the second one 2-1 in the shootout, obviously, over at the Edmonton Oilers. They then lose an overtime to the Nashville Predators 2-1, and then they lose 4-3 to Seattle. It didn't feel like a 4-3 game the way they played. I thought they played horribly in the first two periods. Third period, they were much better, but too late. Um, but there's a lot of buzz around the team right now as they head out on this four-game road trip, and they'll be back Thursday. And the buzz starts, obviously, as we're getting closer and closer to the deadline. Deadline's two weeks from this Friday. March 3rd, and I know you put out an article. I saw you and Dave uh, both on social media talking about it. And I know, you know, you put out something about Nick Sealer that I thought was really interesting. First, put out what you mentioned your report and what, what kind of you uncovered here. Well, basically, and they, the boys on uh, 32 Thoughts spoke about it on Monday morning uh, before I didn't even listen to 32 Thoughts. I was, you know, sort of talking my sources and writing it up, and then it was brought to my attention. So I'll give them credit. They mentioned that Nick Sealer's been drawing interest around the league and that, you know, the Flyers, I think Jeff, Mer- Jeff Merrick used the term they would have to have their socks knocked off. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to my people in hockey ops, I was told that they would have to be blown away to part with Nick Sealer. And, you know, a lot of people took that as, oh, you know, they're going to be looking for a first round pick. You know, he's untouchable. He's this and that. But a lot of this is, is that, and we brought it up right before we start recording here, is that like, it's relative to the player. Like if you ask the Flyers in a candid moment, I think that they were blown away last year to have gotten a fourth round pick for Derek Broussard. So you, 
uh, I, same with me. I didn't even think he was going to get traded. And then Edmonton stepped up, gave him a fourth round pick. And I don't even think he really played in the playoffs for them. So, I mean, you look at Nick Sealer, you can make the case that in his specific role, he's been their most consistent defenseman. And like I mentioned in my article, he has played the least amount of ice time consistently each and every game. So that has to be taken into consideration. But he's performed very well in that role. He brings a physical edge, which teams always like, especially when you're getting ready for a playoff run. And you play and, for Dorts. Yeah, when you play for Dorts. And probably the most important thing and the most attractive thing about the player is his contract. He's signed through next season at $775,000. And for a guy who, at least this year, has proven to be like a quality number six defenseman, that's close to league minimum. You have him signed through another year of the cap being flat. And I think that the Flyers aren't just going to give him away. And as Merrick alluded to on 32 Thoughts, for all the reasons teams want Nick Sealer is for all the reasons the Flyers maybe want to keep Nick Sealer. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten the sense that, and again, this is all, like I'll preface this all by saying, like the Flyers don't have any untouchables in my opinion. And I think Elliot mentioned it as well. And I had mentioned last month that like in the case of Travis Konechny, like if you want him, you're going to have to step up big. But I think that the Flyers overall kind of are more encouraged by the way their defense has been playing. They want to get Travis Sanheim right, obviously. But you look at York and Provorov, and we could get into what I wrote about Provorov as well. But, like, even if you want to bring up a Ronnie Adder next year, it may be beneficial to have a guy like Nick Sealer to play him with. Yeah, that that's the other element, too, is he, he makes 775. That's guaranteed also for next year. And he's proven this year that he can be your sixth defenseman. And even if you had to move him into being your seventh, the 775 is is totally fine. You, you Like you said, it's very close to league minimum. And, you know, for what he brings from a work standpoint, the way he conducts himself as a pro, you know, all of those things, you, what do you, if blown away would be getting a fifth round pick for Nick Sealer, no? Yeah, like, again, like, I couldn't get specifics, and I, I don't even think that they've, like, narrowed down what the specifics so 3% are. Chance, a player with a 3% chance to make the NHL in four years. Like That's for, what for, people are freaking about. For me, it's like, I think that anything a fourth or higher, it would probably have him get moved, especially this year. But the other thing about this is, and we discussed this a bit off the air as well, is, like, the Flyers aren't going to tell a media member, just like, yeah, we'll trim for anything. Like, what kind of negotiation is that? You're building value here. Exactly. Like, clearly, they've realized that Nick Sealer is a guy that teams are interested in because of his cost certainty and his close to league minimum AAV. And they're going to try and say, like, okay, let's see how long we could string this out. And look, Nick Sealer isn't going to be the first, second, third, probably even in the top five to six defensemen to get moved here. You're going to see guys like Edmondson go and Gavrikov go, and that's not even counting the big names like Chikrin and Carlson. But when teams start to get a bit more desperate and less options and are up against the cap, they may be willing to step up with a bit of an overpay. Like even Justin Braun last year for a third round pick, like you can make the sense that that was an overpay, right? But I know that the Flyers that day were trying to pry a second round pick out of teams. Mm -hmm. And it was between the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Rangers. The the Oilers paid a second round pick for Brett Kulak. So they settled for a third from the New York Rangers. And like, I think that's like, and I get it. And I understand that everyone is kind of like conditioned here to just think that like, 
Chuck Fletcher's like spinning on a chair in his room, not doing anything. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like, it's like the Flyers aren't in a position this draft year, this uh, this trade deadline where they're at the forefront. And I was told that yesterday. Like, it's not like last year where we had Claude and we had Ristolainen available right up until like two weeks before the deadline. A lot of the guys that they have available that are expected huh. to be moved here are secondary players. Like JVR falls in that mix too. Justin Braun falls in that mix as well. Even Ivan Provorov. Like, I think it's really a coin flip if he's moved. I would lean more on the side of no. But you mean like moved by the deadline or moved in general? Uh, moved by the deadline. But even in general, like I, I asked yesterday. I think like, that's highly unlikely by the deadline. Teams just can't, they can't do the cap gymnastics to get there to be able to do that during, you know, because you don't want to trip. Teams making moves at the deadline don't like to make moves where they also remove something from their roster. And the team... Like a hot trade. Yeah, the teams that are, you know, it's just too much to disrupt the room. It's too much to change in that regard. Now, he's going to bump somebody out if you add somebody. But also the teams making moves at the deadline are looking more for, you know, equity, prospects, draft picks, especially with this draft coming up. And Proveroff is definitely a hockey trade because you're not trading him for draft picks. You're well, going to have to get a player in return. And well, that's, that's exactly it, right? And I had a lot of people saying like, oh, well, why are things quiet on the Provorov front? Like, they should be working the phones. And it's just like, but it's it's not the same thing. Like, Jacob Chikrin isn't getting traded to L.A. for Quinton Byfield. Like, hell, yeah. like, th- there's a snag because the, the L.A. Kings don't want to give a Brent Clark. And he's not even uh, a staple in the NHL at this point. Yeah, you don't even know what he's going to be as an NHL player yet. Byfield exactly. is starting to get a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, there, there's a lot of things, but even in the Provorov, like, even if he was available, let's say, or he is available, let's just say, like, the Flyers were actively looking to move him, he's number three on the totem pole but behind Chikrin and Eric Carlson right now. Yeah. So, in a lot of these situations, you kind of have to wait for teams to come to you, especially when you have secondary players. Like, look, JVR is going to get traded. You know, like, I think that's like the the ultimate slam dunk here. And they're probably going to get a second round pick for him. Yeah. But teams that are looking at JVR are probably going to exhaust the the avenues of Ryan O'Reilly or Tarasenko was the first domino to fall. Timo Meyer, even like a Barbashev, like other uh, there's other players ahead of him. Tyler Bertuzzi is another one. So I think that like the Flyers, based on the assets that they have, like it's not something where teams are going to be like, blowing up their phones trying to get them i think things are very quiet in philly right now because of the players that are maybe going to be moved saturday before the nashville game after i got done doing pregame show i went up to the press box and i was getting my water out of the big cooler thing and um the anthem was just getting ready to start um and chuck was right there so we were just standing there listening to the anthem um respectfully and then as soon as the anthem was over I was talking to him, just a little off-the-record conversation. I'm not going to say everything that we talked about, but um, I did ask him about the market. I said, you know, is, this market seems a little clogged right now, like it needs a little Drano. I said, what has it been like? Has there been a lot? He's like, there's a ton of conversation. There's a lot of phone calls. Um, but the big issue is this, he said. He said, at this point, with the deadline still three weeks away, it was Saturday, so it was 20 days away, teams have two issues with making the deal early and here they are number one was obviously teams don't have a ton of cap space and they need to have the trade happen closer to the deadline because of prorated salary so every day that ticks off is another prorate of cap hit too 
even if you retain all that stuff. So if you get right to March 3rd, it is hockey season six months long. That's what they get paid for, 182 days. Then obviously you've knocked a month of one-sixth of their cap hit off as well. Um, that's number one. And he said, number two, a big issue right now for teams is they have to wait closer to the deadline because of LTIR. They have players on LTIR, but they don't know if players are coming back before the end of the season where they have to be cap compliant or if they're going to be a postseason return or not returned at all. So LTIR is the other part of that equation on what kind of cap space teams have. Because LTIR will determine who can retain what too. Because you'll also get third teams to retain money when it comes to Carlson and other things. But he said there's a lot of conversation, but there's a lot of the clog right now and up in it'll unclog by the deadline because these teams will have those answers. They'll have pro rate and they'll also have more of an indication on LTIR players. Well, you make your point. Like I'll just use the Winnipeg jets, for example, here, because they were one of the teams that Fridge mentioned would be look at JVR mm-hmm. right now. Today, they have just under six and a half million dollars in cap space deadline. They're over $9 million. Yeah. So a lot of these teams that aren't operating in LTIR and they're few and far between, but coincidentally, you know, two of the teams that have that are tied to JVR right now are two of the playoffs teams not operating in LTR, R, LTIR, easy enough for me to say, with the Minnesota Wild and the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. Even the Calgary Flames are one who, like, I think they have a lot of irons in the fire right now, which uh, Dave Pagnotta has been reporting about a lot lately. But even them, you know, they're a team that's going to gain over a million dollars more over the next two weeks because they're not operating in LTIR. That may change if they shift uh, Oliver Shillington to LTIR, but, you know, it, the point still stands. So, I mean, a lot of these teams are just kind of like in standoff mode right now. Like, obviously, you mm-hmm. have some the, some trades that got out in, ahead of the market, like the Vlad Tarasenko move specifically. And now you could probably say, well, the Rangers are done. But, I mean, I just I don't think that the Flyers have a player right now that is that, I guess, uh, coveted, if you will. You have because it's making a decision, you have these huge names. Tarasenko was a big one, he wanted out of St. Louis for years. Yeah, you have the Ryan O'Reilly uh, domino, mm-hmm. you have the Timo Meyer domino, even like Tyler Bertuzzi, like Dylan Larkin. Like, I still think he eventually stays in Detroit, but you still have that potential wrinkle in all of this. And to me, like, when you hear guys about like Nick Sealer and JVR, or even like Patrick Brown, Justin Braun, like that. That, that's like 2 p.m. an hour before the deadline hits type of move. Maybe not so much JVR, but the other guys 100%. Yeah, there and, are fallback options for teams that m- maybe were going, you know, for something bigger, didn't get it, or go, okay, let's just add a little depth here and a little, a little security. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin Hayes is one, obviously, like I was the first report, like early January that he was available. But even that, that's kind of like a summer move because yeah. of like the term on that contract. Teams will have more of an indication about what their offseason lookout is. And so you can reset Pro- your roster player. So is Provorov for a team. Yeah. And Provorov, like, I think that if the Flyers wanted to just get like a first round pick and two, two prospects, yeah, they could probably move him. Probably Edmonton would be looking hard at him. But like you said, like, you know, they, they were talking to LA and I've heard through the grapevine that they wanted Byfield and that's where it began and ended. Yeah. So, I mean, the Flyers aren't looking for futures with Ivan Provorov. They want it to be kind of like a lateral move. And like you said, a lot of playoff teams aren't looking to subtract off their roster. Edmonton better be careful because if they trade their first-round pick, they have their first-round pick for 23? 
Uh, first, I believe they do. I believe they do. They I don't think be they've careful traded. Because they, that's a team that just goes weird at times. I mean, they lost to, what was it, Montreal the other night, 6-2, to two, right? Yeah. And it, they could, in some ways, miss the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, like, that's a really good pick. Imagine if they fell far enough out of it and won the lottery and got uh, Connor Bedard. So you'd have Connor McDavid, <laughs> Connor Bedard, and Leon Dreisaitl. With Ryan Nugent Hopkins already there. Trade back for Taylor Hall. You have another another number one overall. I mean, just, yeah. And bring Nail Yakupov out of uh, whatever he's doing. <laughs> and the other thing about Edmonton is like their top five forwards all have no movement clauses, and yeah. Darnell Nurse has a no movement clause. So like they're really locked in with that core, right? Yeah. So I think that Ken Holland is trying to double down. You've seen like the reported maybe framework of what an Eric Carlson deal would look like. Centered around, uh, pardon me. Two first round picks. I the one I saw was the first round pick this year. They do have it, and and uh, Evan Bouchard, who they drafted in the first round. I I think it was 2018 they took Bouchard, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 2019. So I mean, that's two first round picks right there. And then I I would imagine you would have like Pulleyarvi going the other way for cap reasons. But again, that's not a slam dunk. It's no, not a slam not. dunk about Eric Carlson. And you're committing how many years to Carlson, even if the Sharks yeah. are eating. Yeah, so you're coming, and even if they're eating 40, 35, or forty percent of it, the sharks are. I'm not sure like how much like cap relief that would be. He makes eleven and a half per. I'm not good with math, but maybe his cap hit comes around somewhere in the eights. So like, look, there, there's a lot of risk involved. And to your point, with a team like the Edmonton Oilers, there's always going to be that chance that it blows up in your face. And I mean, that's why at the deadline, maybe sometimes you see more of those like low risk, high reward moves. Like you trade a mid round pick for a middle six guy. Like you see what the, the, the Rangers gave up for uh, Vlad Tarasenko and they get uh, Mikola, the defenseman. Yep. But I mean, that's like kind of like the biggest type of haul you'll see. It won't usually be like a massive, massive deal. Like, even like what Eric Carlson got traded for. And I believe he got traded in September of 2018, I want to say. So, I mean, to your point, like the, the moves like Provorov, it's not a shock that it may not happen in season. You know, and you look at the Rangers too. Once, you know, a guy like Keandre Miller developed the way he did, they can now use some of those D blue line prospects as equity to help their NHL club because he's just so good. And, I mean, look what you got there on that. Blue. I mean, three players on that blue line. I love them all. DeAndre Miller, Fox, and obviously I love Truba. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's I, mean, a... I love I, – I was talking about – man, that'd be a target for the Flyers. For years I was talking about Truba. I always liked him. And I think he's a really good leader for that team too. Yeah, and he was, he was moved in the summer where the Flyers brought in Justin Braun and Matt Niskanen. Yeah. But obviously Truba was, I believe his wife is from New York, if I'm she not is. mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So like he was one of the dozens of guys who kind of pigeonholed his way into going to New York and like, hey, look, good for them. Like, I mean, it's kind of frustrating because obviously you hear a lot of people talking about like, you know, like the, they should emulate the way the Rangers did the rebuild. Well, like it's easier said than done. When you and because you hear it a lot of people like talking about Johnny Gaudreau, and that was kind of like you could draw the comparison to, to Artemi Panarin, but it's not like they got Artemi Panarin and didn't do anything. They got Panarin, they got Jacob Truba, they got Adam Fox. Like they had three very good players, one of which is one of the best defensemen in the NHL and a, and a Norris Trophy winner. 
basically demand to go to the Big Apple. And I mean, the Flyers and you already had Kreider and you already had Zabanajad. You had some yeah. pieces there, too. Yeah, Shesterkin was already drafted. Like, it's yep. not apples to apples. And no. look, the Flyers have a lot of work to do, clearly. I think they're taking baby steps, but they are in the right direction. But I mean, like, in the case of Profrov, like, I don't even think it's a slam dunk that he's traded because, mm. like, I, I, I was talking to someone yesterday and, and they said to me, like, they believe that the overall outlook of that top four looks a lot different now because of the way that York has played. Now, York has struggled since coming back from the All-Star break. I don't think the defense or the team in general has been as good since the the return from the All-Star break. But, I mean, you look at how Ristolainen has played. I think Provorov has been absolutely fantastic since the Christmas break. And, like, uh, I had someone tell me yesterday that York was outstanding in between the Christmas and the All-Star break, has struggled a bit here. And if you could get... was great in the Edmonton game, though. Yeah. (laughs) He played really well in that game. So, like, all in all, like, you have Provorov, Cam York, Ristolainen, who have been really good. Uh, And Ristolainen, he's been good going back all the way to when he got scratched in early November. Yeah. So then you got to get Travis Sanheim right, obviously. He's really fighting it right He's now. like this, like up and down. Yeah, it's it's been tough. And I think it was the last game, was it, uh, that they just lost? Was it Nashville that they yeah, just lost to? Flat-footed on that two-on-one. Yeah, and you and you look at like some of the underlying numbers, like the the impacts individually, and you look at how Sanheim had a terrible game and Ristolain had a really good game. So you got to hope that a reunion between the two will help that out. I think D'Angelo has overall looked better alongside Nick Sealer, but he still has his major gaffes. And even D'Angelo is a guy that they've had no discussions internally about trading. Yeah. So, I mean, I asked yesterday, like, would you be okay rolling back with this defense next year? And I think that worst case they would be, because like you said, you're not going to trade Provorov unless you have a succession plan on that top pair. Yeah, you're not and, just making that trade to make make a bad trade um, at this point. You can't make a bad trade. You you know, and the thing is, is you know, eventually Chuck Fletcher is going to speak here as we get closer to the deadline, and he's going to be asked about Pro Ruff, I'm sure. And he's going to say, no, we love Ivan Pro Ruff. We want to keep the player. And I know fans are going to freak out. Or Kevin Hayes, same thing. But again, that's what they say publicly because you don't want to put out there to teams like, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah I want to get rid of him. So – come with your bag of pucks and a seventh round pick and, and we'll give them to you. You know, you, you got a posture. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. that goes on there. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I just, I don't, I'm not of the belief of just trading Provorov for like, even if you get a significant haul, let's say that you got, I like you got like a first round pick and let's just say they got him for Byfield plus whatever. I still worry about that defense. Would I still make the, the move because I love Byfield's upside? Yeah, of course. Of course. But then you, what are you doing on defense? Who's playing with Cam York? Like, I, I don't think Cam York's a guy that is ready to just assume a role of, let's say, Victor Hedman or even what Provorov's playing. Like, I kind of broke it down. Uh, I forget what where I did it, but I did this <laughs> somewhere. I've been doing a lot lately. But, like, you look at the minutes that Ivan Provorov plays, and it's not even so much about the even strength it's the amount of time he plays down a man yeah. like i think he averages like almost three minutes down a man and the next closest guy is ristolainen at two minutes who plays with provrov so now you'd be asking sandheim and york to each up their shorthanded time by two to three minutes a night and a lot of people think like oh you know that's like uh, whatever but you hear former nhl defenseman talk 
like an extra two, three shifts a game. And if you're That's upping, huge. <laughs> oh, it's good, especially in a shorthanded role. So, I mean, I'm not saying that Provo's untouchable, and he isn't. He hasn't been going back to last season. But you also got to look at it and say, like, are we going to trade Provorov, not bring in a defenseman to play with Cam York or take some of those minutes away? And are we in any better of a spot? And I think it's a fair question to ask. Yeah, and I think the answer is no, unless you're going to be able to replace Provorov. But replacing Provorov is two things, replacing the minutes um, and replacing the availability because he's always in the lineup. Yeah. And the thing with Provorov, too, yeah, I always look at PK minutes in a game as two to one in taxing on the body. Killing penalties is so taxing. It's exhausting because you're not in control for most of it, right? So those are like two to one minutes and they're really important minutes. And, um, you know, the thing is, he's always available. And if you're the trickle down effect and the slotting changes so much if you don't have him. You know, when you put guys like when we saw those injuries last year, I think it was all of a sudden you're asking, you know, guys like Ristolainen to be a top pair guy as a second pair guy. That's fine. But as a top pair, the pedigree of what you got to deal with on the ice changes. And when you it's like, look at the face offs this year without Couturier and Giroux. You yeah. got Cates and Frost and, and they're getting pantsed in the face off circle because they're facing the top face off guys. Now, if they were facing the second or third ranked uh a face-off guy for the Boston Bruins and not getting Bergeron, they're going to have a much better percentage in the dot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, that's slotting. So, um, you know, uh, Eric says, why not uh, trade Sanheim and keep Provorov? Well, Sanheim right now is about ready to kick into a very long-term huge deal and hasn't had a good season. So the return wouldn't be good at this time for a player like Sanheim. You, um, Provorov's got much less term and a very palatable number that, he could easily be a good value contract as well. Yeah. And look, like I share that sentiment. I thought that like, I think the Sanheim contract will age. All right. To be honest, Um, the cap's going to rise. The cap's going to rise. I don't think he's as bad of a player as we've seen this year. Whatever. There's something up with him. I think playing with D'Angelo was a really bad fit. I hope that, well, let's see what happens between him and Risto right now. Um, But I think that, they did jump the gun on it. I didn't really understand why it was such a pressing need to lock in Sanheim because like you were signing him based on last season, because I think that contract was signed before this year even started the regular season, like the day before the season. And it was like right after the McKenzie Weger extension. Yeah. And, uh, and I was told that the, the Weger the Weger extension is something that probably helped the flyers uh, keep that number down. But I just think that, like, I didn't really understand why there was a pressing need to sign Sanheim. I, I get the sense, and this is, like, not, like, this is me more just piecing stuff together, is that they aren't sure what they have in the AHL. Like, I know everyone talks about, like, Igor Zamula and Ronnie Adderd, but I just, I don't know if these guys are such slam dunks as we think. Like, they'll probably be NHLers one day, but I mean, like, you hear a lot of people saying, like, oh, you know, Sealer is blocking X prospect, and I don't think that's true. Like, I think that what we've learned under John Tortorella is, like, if you're a younger player and you deserve to play, you'll play, and you'll play big minutes. You've seen that with York. You've seen that with Frost. Like, you've seen that with Noah Cates. But I just, I don't know. I think there's maybe, like, some trepidation here with the Flyers is to 
gut the team of NHL talent, move on from these players, and then you kind of force guys into a role that they're not ready for. And even a guy like Igor Zamula, I believe, uh, I don't know if it was on your podcast, I think Russ Cohen was talking about how he's not even playing top pair in Lehigh Valley. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, that that sucks. But is that more of an indictment on the player or is it an indictment on the coaching? So, I mean, I don't know. I don't track Lehigh Valley Phantoms games. It's just I see it from the Flyers standpoint. But yes, from Sanheim's perspective, I did really kind of find it bizarre that they kind of forced that signing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you look at the Phantoms and there's a couple guys down there playing really well. They call up Erson to go on this road trip right after Sandstrom. I thought let what I thought was, you know, the Jaden Schwartz goal was a bit of a subpar goal again. It was a great shot, a high blocker just below the bar. But again, and we talked about this before. I four occasions so far this year that I recall that I charted with Sandstrom on his glove hand side on a low play from down below the hash mark and a pass above the hash mark. He has not regained his feet on his glove hand side from a post integration, and he's gotten beat high glove twice, and he's also now gotten beat high blocker twice. In Europe, maybe you get away with that in the Swedish league. you got to regain your feet in this league because you're not going to be able to get that shot. You're not going to be able to lift high enough to get that shot in the NHL. Two things, players are closer in the NHL, and they, and they, can, they can make that shot and get rid of it way quicker. So you got to regain your feet there. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, Sandheim, uh, Sandheim, Sandstrom is a guy that I, he's been disappointing. I was really, I don't even know why I was high on him, but I thought he was going to prove to be like a decent NHL backup here. But he came in he, last year, like that San Jose game that he lost last year, like 45 say He was good. He made, yeah. you know, he, he's he's a competent goaltender, but um, there's just that one goal in a game that he can't give up that he seems to give up. Yeah, and like, look, I still think that it was a good decision to see what you have in him this year like you had to right like he was drafted what like almost eight years ago now but and obviously Urson gets called up you know I was just texting with someone a couple minutes ago and I was told that there he's not going to go on waivers Sandstrom that is so pardon me they're carrying three yeah they're going to carry three and I think Grossneck has been uh hurt for a while here right since like the first week of the season I think so yeah, so I mean, I think that there's just they don't want to, I guess, bring up a, a goaltender who's probably not even AHL caliber. So you're going to carry three here. I mean, I I get the sense that John Torrell is not the biggest fan of Felix Sandstrom, and obviously Urson, I think proved earlier in the year that he's better than Sandstrom and AHL caliber at this point. So they're going to carry three. I mean, you don't want to overload Carter Hart either, especially with his injury history. And at this point, you know, I think Sandstrom is signed until next year. And so, I mean, you have some options with him. I know that everyone thinks that he won't get claimed on waivers, and maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't, for all I know. But I think that they just really don't want to run that risk where you only have Hart and Urson as NHL-caliber goaltenders, or even AHL-caliber goaltenders to this point. Like, I don't even know who's playing in the for the Phantoms right now, now that Urson got called up. But, like, now you're going into waters where, like, there's guys that shouldn't even probably be in the AHL potentially as your number three option. Yeah, goalies from the ECHL, basically. Yeah, so, I mean, I understand it. Obviously, three goalies isn't the the best type of um, scenario. You know, there's two nets, and you're always going to have one guy on the outside looking in. 
And obviously that's going to be Felix Sandstrom for a bit, but I don't really blame them at the same time for wanting to have a backup option in case of injury. Yeah. You can go from being really set at goalie to, to being uh oh in a hurry yeah. because you just don't carry the amount of goalies in your organization like you do wingers or centers or, or D-men or skaters. You just don't. And I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago when they go through seven that season and we saw Mike McKenna, Cal Pickard. I oh. mean, we saw them all. I mean, yeah, that was, crazy. uh, was that the Brian Elliott was still here in Neuverth. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. I so know, I he might've been gone by that point. Who? That Elliot? Been, no, uh, Neuvert might've been gone by that point. But I think that was Stolarz was there, and then they traded Stolarz for Talbot. It was the that was the year where shit hit the fan with Hexy and Haxall. Yeah, that was that year. And look, I mean that that I think for like I I really wasn't a fan of the way that Hexy managed stuff here, but I will never be able to understand how a former goaltender did what he did. That that to me was so befuddling that he kept going back to the well with Michael Neuverth and then Brian Elliott. Like, yeah. do you remember that year in 1718, which was by far the best year under Ron Hexel, where like they played Elliott like 16 games in a row. Yeah. Like just like, and like, March and it was late too. And, and, and you had to know going into that, that Neuvert couldn't stay healthy. No, it's, just it's couldn't. crazy. And he was a good goalie when he was oh, healthy. Yeah, he was, he was, he just couldn't, I remember one time he literally the team took warm-ups. I was this is when I was still doing all my stuff downstairs, right in the hallway where they line up to walk out. It's literally from my broadcast desk, look right out the door, it's right there. And Neuvert takes warm-ups, comes back out, gets at the front of the line to go out on the ice for the game, and then all of a sudden pulled up, pulled the shoot, and was out. Took all warm-ups as the as the starter, the whole thing. In the hallway, bent over and was just standing. Something happened, pop something, he was out. I remember he rest. I remember he had a PT the last time I heard from him or heard from him, heard of him. It's not like I texted the guy. But the last time I heard of Michael Neuverth, I think it was the 2019-20 season. Yeah, because Mike Babcock was still the coach of the uh of the trauma police. So it was going into that season where a season he ultimately got canned in. And I think that was the year after the Flyers let him go once and for all. And he was signed to a PTO and he was going to be Frederick Anderson's backup and he looked good. And then he got hurt like two preseason games in and they were just like, yeah, the hell with this guy. But yeah, you can't. He's just not going to be reliable. Shame. It's too bad. That's really too bad. He was, uh, I mean, he was a good goalie. I mean, he comes in member against Washington in that one game and just was unbelievable in the playoffs. Was that the game seven when Mason was still here? That Mason's last year. So um, Michael t- uh, messages in and says, uh, speaking of future D guys, can you speak about Emil Andre and as a potential chemo Timonin light? Chemonin is what he put. It's chemo Timonin. But um, I actually saw chemo Timonin the other night. Was it, uh, I guess it was the 2010s night, the Edmonton game. And I was walking from downstairs to go up to uh, where we do the intermissions from. And there's Timonin coming by and still fit as a fiddle. Chemo looks like he could still play. Big smile on his face, big finished smile. Had he's scouting now, isn't he? For them, yeah, yep, yep. And uh, you know, he's a guy that when he played, I didn't talk to him a whole heck of a lot. There's a few guys through my time doing the 15 years of doing pre-intermission and post that 
don't like to come off the ice right to an interview. So don't do in-game interviews, or even if you do them post-game, they like to go in and get changed and then come in and sit down. Um, and Kimo was one of those guys. Pro Ross, another one of those guys. But Kimo was locked in in the game, wanted to get back to the room, get the boots off, let the dogs air out a little bit, get the feet feeling good again before you put the skates back on for the next period. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, that's a guy's prerogative to do that, but um, good to see Kimo the other night. But as far as Emil Andre, I mean, we had a, uh, Alex Appleyard on, who's really good with the European guys. And um, he, he's having a really good year, is Andre. But, I mean, he's far away. Like, he's not going to – he's got to come over first and then get assimilated over here. Um, so, Which he probably will do. I'm not sure when the Swedish league ends, but I remember being told in the summer following the, the World Junior Hockey Championship, remember they had the 2022 mm-hmm. one in August – that the plan is for when his season ends over there, he's going to be brought over to the Phantoms maybe to finish the year. I think he's probably your best chance at having a number one, even though I don't think he's going to be. But I, I think that maybe he has a higher ceiling than York. Oh, I love Cam York. I really like it. And even like I, the Flyers know they don't have a number one right now. Yeah. But I think that what they're trying to do is trying to build like a defense kind of like what you're seeing in Calgary or what you're seeing, well, St. Louis, obviously not really good example this year because of how bad they've been, but where you have kind of just like steadiness throughout all your three pairs, like a bunch yeah. of twos and threes. And I think that you have like a post Petrangelo St. Louis Blues. Exactly. Where you have like Krug and Pareko and Falk and Scandella, like guys like that. And and I think right now with the Flyers, like you have a two in Ivan Provorov. Cam York, I think, is playing probably like a three, and obviously this is objective. Sanheim, you got to get right, but I think when he's on his game, he's a three. Uh, Ristolainen this season has proved to be like a good number four or five. D'Angelo, I think. So, like, look, there's you could kind of see what they're going for, but you really like to have that stud number one. It makes your life a whole lot easier. And I think I think Elliot Friedman said this that aside from the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2017. Every team going back like the last like 20 years has had like a defenseman on their roster who has gotten a Norris trophy vote, like something like we're nominated, something along yeah. the, those lines. So there there really is tough to pull it off without one of those high-end defensemen. But I mean it's been done before, and there are a lot of teams that have to operate without a true elite number one, like even the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Morgan Riley, I I think is a is a number one maybe, but like, he's not very good defensively and he's not having a great season right now. And they kind of have a do it by committee approach as well with like TJ Brody when he was healthy, they had Jake Muzzin. Now they have the two younger kids in Lilligren and Sandine who are playing well, Giordano's there. So, I mean, it's tough to find those elite number ones. And if you could just have a bunch of good twos and threes, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You can get by with it. And, you know, the thing is, too, is you, know, you see these teams like Toronto or you see the Edmonton Oilers, they're going they're trying to add to their blue line, but they're trying to add offensive defensemen, guys that have a hard time. Like I see what Edmonton's doing. I got a text from a guy. And he goes, you know, Edmonton's trying to get Carlson for a team that doesn't defend well. Why get a defender that can't defend well? <laughs> their hope is just to be playing in transition in the offensive zone all the time and he obviously the way he's playing this year would be spectacular at that, but it doesn't help you in the playoffs. I think because the game changes, so it, you have to be able to defend. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning learned it; they you can't beat teams five two, 
six three in the playoffs. It just you got to be able to win those games, and you also got to be able to win the two one, uh, you know, three two games, and that's where you know the teams have a really hard time in those super tense raise. The, the game is hanging on a razor's edge. That's where they have a hard time because you need a guy that can go out there and not only defend but just calm a game down with a shift. And yeah. trying to push offense, just calm a game down, play between from the top of the circle to the top of the circle. Nothing else gets lower and nothing gets to the inside. Yeah, and that's what uh, Matt Niskin was really good at, right? Being able Cold. to calm, calm it down. And, you know, too. yeah, like, and that's like kind of what you need, right? Like the Flyers haven't had like that veteran leader, I think, on the back end for since Matt Niskin. And obviously Justin Braun, but I think when you're a third pairing guy, it doesn't carry as much weight, which is just normal, right? Like Niskin was a guy. Ellis was brought in for, right? Yeah, exactly. Like Ryan Ellis was the best type of replacement. And I think he's, he's even better defenseman than Matt Niskanen was. I, I, I remember thinking when Niskanen retired, I really wanted them to go get Chris Tanev. Like he seemed just like the prototypical best, like carbon copy of Matt Niskanen. Obviously goes to Calgary and he's mean, meant a world for Calgary. And you see what happened to Quinn Hughes. Maybe not so much this year, but in the immediate departure of Tanev, you saw what happened to Chris, um, Quinn Hughes. So, I mean, look, the Flyers are still kind of searching for that. Obviously, D'Angelo isn't like a calming presence, but I mean, risk line, you're trying to turn into that. You're trying to change his game. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I think York has that demeanor in the way he plays. Obviously, you could speak more to him as a person, but like he probably thinks the game the best of any defenseman they have right now. Mm -hmm. And like, he's got a unique skating style and it looks so effortless, right? and smooth but the thing and he is really chill like i mean if i talk to him in between periods or right after a game it's very like almost like he just got done a meditation like he's so calm and just relaxed in his approach doesn't get overwhelmed but i will tell you this too he's got a tremendous amount of confidence yeah like he he definitely has got some swagger to him like you and he you need that you need to have that to make plays yeah well, no, you, you have to. And you heard John Tortorella, why they sent him down earlier in the year that he was playing like too reserved. And then I think yeah. I forget who talked about it. Maybe been on your show, but like that Cam York, maybe it was Charlie O'Connor that was brought up on this show about how like Cam York was intimidated by John Tortorella. So he didn't want to be too freewheeling and all that. And it kind of affected his game indirectly. And like Cam York is a guy that I think has a style of play that fits the current day of the NHL that he can control. Like he can really kind of control a breakout. I remember you talking about like the center defense type of role that Mm -hmm. Morgan Frost brought up. And like, look, I think that like power play wise, maybe he's not as dynamic as we thought. Like, like I would still say Tony D'Angelo is like a better fit up there. But again, like, you know, if he's not like the, the cream of the crop power play wise, like, I don't think it's the end of the world. Like there's a lot of too. Exactly. And and it's fine. You know, like you even have like, I don't think Victor Hedman, maybe this year, but with maybe this year he's playing top pairing, but I know a lot of t- uh, not top pairing, top power play, but even Sergachev, I think has gotten looks up there. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't always have to be your number one, like Jacob Slavin's another example. Like he's the best defensive defenseman in the NHL by a wide margin, in my opinion, but he's not out there quarterbacking a power play. Man, but man. obviously Cam York has kind of a, uh, a reputation of being an offensive guy. But I think maybe that's more about moving the puck up in transition, thinking the game while getting it out of danger. And 
look, if he's not a top end power play guy, that's fine. You have some more guys in the AHL. Maybe Adder becomes that. Maybe you hang on to D'Angelo more beyond next season. Like they have options here. They have options, and yes, you still are looking for that number one. But the overall look of the of the blue line, I don't think is as grim as a lot of people make it out to be. Obviously, without that number one, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired. But as someone said to me yesterday, if you have Provorov, York, and Sanheim and Bristolining all playing to their capabilities, and I think save for Sanheim, we've seen the other three play that role, that's two solid top, top pairs. Obviously, you'd like to see what happens in the playoffs. That's a completely different animal. But, I mean, you could do a hell of a lot worse than that. I, I remember reading this study that was done. I forget who tweeted it out. I'll have to see if I can find it, and I'll retweet it again. Uh, but over since 2000, the teams that got to a Stanley Cup final had an average – no, it was earlier in 2000. I think it was like 2009 through 2021. The teams that got just – you know, the two teams that got to the final had an average size on their blue line of like six three and a half, two hundred and fifteen 215 pounds. Yeah. And I looked at that and I go, hmm, that's really interesting because do you need – to be big on the back end, even in today's game, but this is recent to get through four rounds of a playoff, you know, like you got to have that size back there because you need to be able to punish guys when they, when they're trying to get inside and you still need that size in the NHL. The game is probably more, you know, there's more small players that can be effective now than ever before. You know, in the eighties, you couldn't be this side of, of Johnny Gaudreau and survive. You couldn't be 160 pounds. You wouldn't, you wouldn't make it out of the, you know, first half of the season, but now you can with the rules and everything else and the way the game is played, no red line and opened up and so skilled, but um, do you still need that size on the back end? That's one thing I worry about with, you know, Cam York and it, eventually if this team is a team that can go on multiple round playoffs, you got to be big on the back end and they still could use a little size. They're obviously Ristolainen's big Sanheim's, big but doesn't play a, doesn't play a, a stuff, big no. power game um yeah Sealer's big but he's not gonna be part of the long term here um, yeah so you do need a little size back there for sure so well we certainly covered a lot in this uh in this episode um you know who's been sneaky good down there with the fans is uh elliot denoyer two he's goals been... the other again 17 goals He's a guy that, you know, he, he's playing center now. He's playing second line, I believe, behind yep. Anisimov. And, I mean, he's someone that you have to keep an eye on. And, you know, like I've started, like, looking at, like, what we could potentially be seeing for next season. Obviously, like, it depends on, like, what Sean Katori ends up being a lot. But, like, I'm starting to think, like, maybe your 3-4 season next year are Noah Cates and Elliot Denwaye. And, I mean... Obviously, it depends on what happens if they can bring in a top line center. But I wonder if a guy like Denwaye could maybe put some pressure on Morgan Frost because I just, or unless he shifts to wing. But I mean, it's very like, um, it, it's encouraging here that they have like a homegrown center coming up through their system. Not to say he's going to be a top line guy, but he's really going to be, I think he's going to be a player and he's probably going to be a player here next year, I think. And because you look at a guy like Patrick Brown, he's not here long-term. Lazinski's injured, but I think, unfortunately, the racetrack has run out for Tanner Lazinski, more so just because he can't stay healthy. But it seems like there's an open path for Denoye to be a staple on this team next season. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. He's definitely, tr- you know, turning towards being a, a definite NHL player, you know, best case scenario, middle six, probably bottom six. But, hey, you need those guys too. Um, he doesn't solve your problem when it comes to high-end talent. Um, last thing here, let's get to the, uh, Michael N. Kaminis. Kaminis. I'm not sure how to say it, but Michael, thanks for the note. He said, loved your info on Larkin and the Flyers' interest slash need for center. That's how your reports are on uh, Dylan Larkin. And uh, any chance the Flyers surprise us and go for the Sharks' Timo Meyer or Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, future playoff Bertuzzi and future playoff Risto on the same team. Yeah. Um, Timo, as I just don't think they're in a position to do it. He's got a $10 million qualifying offer as an RFA. Um, any team that trades for him is going to want to sign him, obviously bring that number way down. Uh, I just don't think they're in a position right now for a player like Timo Meyer in the situation that he's in. Yeah, I mean, I actually just dropped out there for a second. My internet went down, so I came I came back in uh, flawlessly. Thank God. But yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, Meyer. I think he has like a ten million dollar qualifying offer. They're going to trade a haul to get him. Like the Flyers want to add a center, as I reported last week, and Thirty Two Thoughts mentioned it yesterday that they're in the market for centers. And, like, I love Tyler Bertuzzi. I, I love that player. I think he could really help this team. I think that left wing is a position that they could stand to upgrade, not as pressing as center, but certainly could stand to upgrade. I just I don't know if those are the types of players that the Flyers are going to take big swings for, especially Meyer, because you'd be sacrificing so much of your futures. Bertuzzi, obviously, it would be way less of a, of a haul to get him in here. But I just think that... First and foremost, they need to find a, a top line center, a top six center long term. I think yeah. that absolutely is the uh, the priority here because I like everything that they that they that, well not everything that's an exaggeration, but I've liked a lot of what I've seen this year about building towards the future, seeing how that middle six, bottom six is shaping up. Their goaltending is very encouraging for the foreseeable future. The defense could be better, but not as grim as, let's say, we once thought because of York. Profrov's game really turning around the last two months or so. Ristolainen's career renaissance. But it's all going to be for naught if you don't have that top-line center. Dylan Larkin, I think that 100% is a name that they would go after. Uh, I was told that in the in the uh, if he makes it to free agency, I'm skeptical if he gets there. And if no, if he's not available, then you have to look the trade route. And obviously, top line centers are a lot uh, harder to come by than pro- arguably any commodity in the NHL. Like centermen are just so tough. It's why you got to find out what uh, Couturier is. That's why he needs to come back this year, and you yeah. got to see if he can come back and play and stay healthy and without setback going into the off season. And then, obviously, the other guy that when you talk about center, we can debate whether he's a center or a winger when he first comes in is Cutter Gauthier. Um, I'd like to see him go back for another year um, because yeah, I think that it, there's a lot to be gained there by him going back. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Matty Beniers or Owen Power. They all went back for a sophomore year. You know, Beniers is, what, a second overall pick. Uh, Owen Power is the number one overall pick. It's, it's not an indictment on the pick. Um, so I – I would like to see him go back, but you know, he was pretty out of it when I talked to Cutter on draft night that he wanted to go play one year of college and get right to the show. <laughs> Can't blame an 18 year old for wanting that. Yeah, have a kid. <laughs> Can't blame an 18 year old for wanting that. And look, they, they have a lot of they have a lot of question marks. It's not all grim. I mean, I, I wonder what it means for a guy like Morgan Frost because I think that Frost has had a, re- a good season process-wise. I think like his underlying game is really good. 
I think that he's learned to play center in a responsible fashion this year. But then, and I, Charlie O'Connor has beat this point to this drum rather a lot. So I'll give him credit is that like, it just begs the question of what Morgan Frost is when he's not producing points. And I think this other day did something I have not heard him do. What did he do? It was was the Nashville game. He thought that he said in the post game that he thought Frost was really good in the game. And I think it's the first time he gave him accolades and some, you know, some hype when he didn't score. Because oftentimes Torch would say, yeah, yeah, there's a lot there, but I need him on the score sheet. Like, yeah, need to finish it. And he didn't. And Frost had a really good game, but didn't end up on the score sheet. So that that's progress. <laughs> yeah, and I think Frost is a guy that has struggled with uh, confidence a lot in mm-hmm. his career. And you know what? I, I think he's had a good year, like from what we were expecting. But the thing is, is like, I think he's still only on pace for like 40 points. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like the question mark for me is like, He's not a guy that I could really see playing a bottom six role like a Denway or a Cates. Not and if Jeff. you're, yeah, and if you're not a 40 point player, can you be counted on as a top six center in the NHL? And I think it's, he's gotten like arguably at times the Flyers' best line mates. Like he's been with JVR and Tippett for quite a while now. It's been a good line. Like obviously, yeah, maybe he could play with Konechny, but I mean, aside from Konechny, JVR and Tippett have been their two best wingers more yeah. often than not. So I, I I question like where he stands long term. Not because he's not a good player; it's just more so the 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 team and what the team needs right now. I he feel like their construction. Yeah, because you they need a top six center. They absolutely need one, and I just I'm not sure if he's produced enough in terms of raw points to be able to say like, okay, he's one of the guys moving forward. And I think that the ship of him playing wing for this team has long sailed. It's clear that they have no interest in that. It's kind of center a bust here. And like I said, he's had a good year. He's had a good year. He's learned to play responsible defensive hockey. I just question whether or not he's produced enough to have locked in, carved out a job long-term, especially when you keep hearing what I've heard, what they talked about on 32 Thoughts, that they still are looking to go big game hunting for a centerman. Like we talk about this year, and we keep saying this year is to find out to find out who's who and what's what, who's part of the future and who's not. But the 82 games this year is not a hard deadline for every player. Some players are going to warrant, I was talking about to Bill Meltzer about this, uh, on the podcast for Flyers Daily on Monday, that some players are warranting more of a look and more time to see if they develop further. Frost, I think, falls into that category. Some players, you know, when we get done this season, you're going to go, okay, he's not part of it, or he is part of it. Like, listen. Yeah. And other players are going to have to go, because you can't just go ship everybody out. This isn't the NBA where you, you just go, let's send this guy here and this guy there <laughs> with the hard cap. So, some players are going to get a little more look, not maybe looks, not the right word, but are going to remain and you're going to continue to evaluate what they are. And, and then at some point you're going to be presented either with a, a move on for, you know, whether the player's contract is up or a trade proposal or whatever. But, um, and I think that frost falls into that category. If he's going to be a top six guy, he's going to be a 55 plus point guy. Minimum. So, so, like, let's say they had a chance, just for funsies, they had a chance to sell to sign Larkin, and you figure out that Couturier could be, like, a 75% what he once was, like a 60-point responsible second-line center. 
is Frost a guy that you consider moving on from if that in that context? Well, I think you have to because if you're going to have Noah Cates as your third-line center. Yeah. You know, and Frost obviously is not going to play fourth line. That doesn't make any sense for him. And Denway but, seems like he's fast-tracked into that. Yeah, and you don't want to pay a lot at that position either. I don't, Frost isn't going to command a ton of money, but still, yeah, that I mean, you got to look at roster construction. It's not just about lining up the four most skilled guys at the center position. Exactly. I mean, you have to have them, you have to build your team properly. Like we've seen teams with tons of talent that can't win because they don't have guys that can do the, the hard work or grimy things. You need the grimy guys. You need all of that to win. So roster construction is paramount, which also goes back to kind of where we started with pro and slotting. Like you have to have, you have to have proper roster construction for guys to fill certain roles. You have to have your good penalty killers. You have to have your, your good defenders. You have to have your good high end offensive players. You got to also have, you know, on your blue line puck movers and, and stay at home guys. And they got to fit together perfectly. And that that's the only chance you have. I mean, let's just add Connor Bedard, screw Larkin. Let's get Connor Bedard in the middle. <laughs> Him, Couturier and Noah Cates are your three centers. Boom. I would be not be too bad. And the other thing is, is that like, I still think that they have a chance in this draft to get a long-term one C maybe not next year, but like if you take like a Brandon Yeager type of thing, mm-hmm. like I think that if you're in the top 12, like you have a chance to get a long-term number one center here. And like you, you look at a guy like, let's say Will Smith, I think Bob McKenzie had him ranked sixth i got a prospect um ranking that he was ranked i think nine or ten i've heard i think bob mckenzie said that he may have the best hockey iq in the game so long term you may have like a one c carved out but i just i don't think the flyers are looking for next year to be a stagnant year i think they want to take another step and i think that's where and merrick said this too yesterday is that like they do like a lot of their players like, I think the fans are in, and I understand it, given on what's gone on here the last 24 months, but I think the fans are at a point where they just want to sell everybody for anything because yep. they're just kind of in that mode of just got everything. But I just, there still are good players here, and I don't think that they want to embark on a three- to five-year rebuild. They're already rebuilding. They've been rebuilding. They haven't called it that doesn't mean that it hasn't been happening. Like, I mean, like, look, they've pretty much told you without telling you that they've been in a rebuild recently. Like, for all intents and purposes, since they traded Giroux, they've been kind of rebuilding. Like, yeah, they traded assets to bring in Tony D'Angelo, which was very questionable. But aside from that move, since they traded Giroux, they've pretty much been operating as in a rebuild. They, They didn't go big game hunting in free agency. They've signed depth players to help the culture. They've tried to give all these young kids a chance to play in prominent roles on hockey teams. Like going back to the Giroud trade, save for the D'Angelo acquisition was just because of pure desperation to get a right shot defenseman in here, which I still, I don't agree with. You might as well just sign John Klingberg at that point. They've been operating like a rebuild and they're going to continue operating like a rebuild, but they're going to take baby steps because they're not doing a rebuild akin to Chicago or Arizona where you tear it down to the studs and come back up. They're doing it more like a Los Angeles, let's say, where they slowly sold off some pieces like Muzzin and uh, Alec Martinez and I think Jeff Carter. But then along the way, they traded for a guy like Victor Arvidsson 
or they traded for a guy, it blew up in their face, but like a Kovalchuk or last summer they went big game hunting. They took a swing for Kevin Fiala. Like, I think that's more what we're seeing. And they hung on to guys like Doughty and Quick and Kopitar. And I believe there's one more other one that's escaping me, but I think that's more of the type of rebuild that we're looking at. Yeah. Boy, Kempy's been on a heater too, man. Yeah. Kempy. Yeah. He's been good. Fiala has been a good add too. Yeah, no doubt. Very good. Um, uh, Michael says, Stick Taps, boys, you make my week. Well, thank you, Michael. Stick Taps to everybody for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, we'll be back uh, coming up on Thursday. Aunt San. Aunt San Filippo is going to join us coming up on Thursday, I believe. I haven't heard from him in a while. Yeah, he had COVID. He was going to come on last, um, I think it was Friday, but he said he's got COVID again. He, he says he feels fine, but he just sounded horrible. Okay. Like his voice was just gassed. So, um, so we wanted to push a week. So uh, he's going to join us coming up later this week, hopefully. And uh, we'll get Anthony Sanfilippo on. We haven't talked to him in a while here on Stick to Hockey Live. And great stuff. Uh, where can people read your stuff? Fourthperiod.com? Fourthperiod.com. A story dropped uh, last night. Expecting to get another one out by the end of the week. And obviously, uh, shit's going to pick up here with the trade deadline just over two weeks away. Yeah, make sure like on your browser, you hit that little star at the top that favorites the fourth period.com between Ant, Dave Panyota, and the whole crew up there. are going to have great stuff leading up to the deadline as always. And uh, uh, check that out as well. And uh, at ADeMarco25 on Twitter, give Ant a follow there. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you Thursday on a brand new edition of Stick to Hockey Live.